Over the weekend, the clock struck midnight for several of those teams that you would like to call Cinderella. And we saw several teams that actually triumphed on their wins that continue to look better in this postseason. But in the end, there can only be one victor. And when the uh, clock hit zeros, who's that going to be? Well, we're going to discuss that on today's show. I'm your host, Matthew Raritan, and this is Total Sports Talk Beyond the Lights. Well, the show must go on, and fortunately for these teams that had such a Cinderella-type season going into this postseason, it ended up ending for them where they met their their match when it came to the postseason. But there were some that kind of caught us by surprise, but some that didn't. And I, I kind of want to dive into this first game because, guys, I was – pretty much completely wrong on this game. Um, And that is the Baltimore Ravens and the Houston Texans. I really expected the Houston Texans to be very competitive in this game. If you guys remember, I had this game 35 to 32, but with Baltimore as the victor, yes, I was right on the victor part. And I was close to being right as far as Baltimore score. They did score 34 points, but where I was way wrong was with Houston. I thought for sure they were going to be putting up points. I thought C.J. Stroud was going to have another phenomenal game, but nope, he met his maker by only being able to put up 10 points, and he didn't have anything to do with those 10 points in reality. Uh, No touchdowns for C.J. Stroud. Uh, The lone touchdown for the Houston Texans was a punt return, so... As you can see, Baltimore Ravens, their defense, it's legit, guys. Although there was nothing there that was very flashy, I'll say, because strangely enough, they didn't even touch C.J. Stroud. He wasn't even sacked all game. But sometimes that doesn't matter. You don't have to throw an interception or get sacked to lose the game. You could have a defense that's just dominating on every play from first down to third down and even on a fourth down occasionally. And that's what the Baltimore Ravens did on defense. And guys, this was probably the most Baltimore Ravens game that that there is. It was typical Baltimore Ravens football where their defense was phenomenal, but then you saw Lamar Jackson get his groove, but not necessarily his groove as a passer, but as a rusher. Um, You know, if I was a betting man like how I predicted here, yes, I did choose Baltimore's money line. I would would have won money there. But the spread, I did not anticipate uh, Baltimore to cover that. For me, I thought for sure Houston was going to cover it. But in the end, they did not. They they only put up 10 points, and if you remember, we were looking at a 9.5-point spread right there. So uh, in the end, 34-10 to 10 was a very dominant victory for the number one seed Baltimore Ravens. But, guys, I, I want to talk about Houston here first. C.J. Stroud was completely shut down, but I don't think we should lose hope or faith on this team. I think this team has a very bright uh, future, especially with D'Amico Ryans as their coach, but with C.J. Stroud as their quarterback. He's a franchise quarterback, and we were able to see that just as a rookie. Uh, sometimes it is very hard to tell when you see a rookie in the NFL how they're going to fare, how they're going to play, but we saw that with C.J. Stroud. He's a baller, and he's going to be a name to look out for in the NFL for a while. But this Houston team, though, I don't think this was a one-hit uh, wonder. I think this is going to be something that's going to last a while. And they're going to be playing in a really great division that I think is going to last a while. There's a lot of youth that's going to be uh, playing within this AFC South division. But as far as Houston, I think these guys are here to stay. And especially CJ Stroud, I think he's the guy that you are going to want to build 
everything you can around him and you want him to have say in how you want how he wants things to be built around him what players he wants at receivers tight ends or even the guys that are blocking for him i think he's that guy that you need to have in that room that helps you make those decisions because ultimately he is going to be your investment is him and he's going to be I, in my opinion, I think a generational talent that we are seeing already within uh, quarterbacks that are in this very postseason. But Baltimore, they did look a little rusty in the first half, kind of similar to how this first game was when they played in week one. But I was really expecting the opposite. I know that Baltimore had a bye, but I thought this Houston team who finished really strong against Cleveland was going to carry that over into this game and Baltimore was going to be forced to have to compete with that or they or they would lose and I just it's not how I predicted I mean there's probably a reason why I'm not a uh, famous Vegas gambler or anything like that because well I got my prediction there completely wrong but it, Baltimore can't do this this next week. We're going to talk about who they're playing next week, and I'm sure you guys already know if you're watching this show who they're going to be playing, and they're going to be playing someone who uh, has already established himself as one of the all-time greats at quarterback. So to play against someone like that, you cannot get off on the wrong foot. You have to be sharp. You have to be precise. And Baltimore was not that at first, but they did end up really getting into their groove, and you got to see Lamar Jackson be Lamar Jackson. 100 yards on the ground. He was an established runner this game, and as far as passing-wise goes, he's no Drew Brees, but he he was very effective and when it counts, and they had four touchdowns, and whose name was involved in all four touchdowns? That's Lamar Jackson. Played a very clean football game. And he ran when it was necessary. And I, I think that this was probably the typical complete Baltimore Ravens game that we saw. The only bad thing I'd have to say is just their slow start. Because next week you can't afford to have a slow start against that team. But how did you guys feel when it came to this game? I know, Ed, you, you saw things a little differently here. So I'm going to ask you first. Well, I certainly missed on the money line for this one. I, I, I did have the Texans just riding the lightning. I, you know, they were hotter than a you know two dollar firecracker. I going into this game, and I they just you know just fizzled out in the cold. I they got out of that warm, comfy, you know, dome stadium in Houston, and they just just kind of left everything offensively down there. Uh, yes, they had some plays by the receivers. Nico Collins, that was really a focal point of the Baltimore defense. And, you know, just getting him removed from the offensive game plan. And there wasn't an answer behind him. Yes, they had some plays behind him, but not enough to create an answer. And that ultimately was uh, the, the deal with it. Um you know, I had a, a blowout, or you know, predicted over the weekend, and this game wasn't it. But it turned out, it turned out to be the game that was just over from the get go. Yeah, I think Baltimore showed out of uh, the number one seeds why they deserve it, to be that number one seed. Uh, it, it's just they seem to have been the more dominant team and they're a tough team to face. So, but David, how'd you see this game? Well, guys, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again because it doesn't stop being true. Okay. This Ravens defense is good. This defense is up there with some of the best defenses we've seen in recent memory. Okay. These are the same guys that made veteran quarterbacks like Jared Goff and Tua look average at best. And listen, I know hindsight is twenty twenty, but to actually think that a rookie quarterback had e even a prayer of a chance against a defense like that, I'm sorry. No offense, Ed, but that's delusion, straight up. Yeah, this Baltimore Ravens defense, I mean – Baltimore has always been known for having a great defense. We all remember the 2000 Ravens team, and they have always really uh, 
strive to have a great defense. And if you play in the AFC North, you kind of have to. That's just kind of the, the motto there is to have a great defense. But the Ravens, they they they've got a great team out there. And I mean that, a great team that people need to really keep an eye on. We're obviously keeping an eye on, on Lamar Jackson, most likely going to be the MVP, but let's not let's not take away from their defense here and how special they are. So uh, they need to get credit where it's due. And just because they didn't cause or force any turnovers doesn't mean that they're not good because this is an elite defense that uh, you're not going to see every Sunday by just watching your team. I mean, this is something that you're going to have to tune in and really watch this Baltimore team to see how they do things. So I don't want to take that any credit away because they play, they faced a rookie quarterback. CJ Stroud is not your typical rookie quarterback. We can all agree there. And this Houston team is a good team. So uh, do not, that should not be taken away whatsoever. At the end of the day, this is the playoffs. You earn your right to get, to get there and anything can happen. This is single elimination. This isn't like baseball or basketball where it's best of seven. This is single elimination. You need to bring everything you got for that 60 minutes of the game. And if you don't, well, you're gone. So that's just how football is. And and some people hate it. Some people love it. But the fact of the matter, that's how it's going to be, and it's not going to change. So uh, Baltimore Ravens, uh, really great defense and offense. They're clicking as well. But before we actually get started on this next game, um, this next game is going to be a very fun one for Ed to cover here. I want to give a really huge shout out to my friends over at American Daily Press. ADP is budding news organization that is seeking to bring the truth and legitimacy back to the world of journalism. Their mission is to empower readers with accurate, well-researched information to foster a deeper understanding of our world breaking through the propaganda, and arming the people with truth. They also just announced a host of new podcasts they are launching and supporting, including us here at Total Sports Talk, Guys Night, and an innovative show with no soup for Knowles. So if you are looking for truth, look no further than AmericanDailyPress.com. Head on over to their site, sign up for their a weekly newsletter, and follow them on Twitter and all other socials. And once again, that is AmericanDailyPress.com. Give them a shout out, guys, because uh, they, they really are. They are changing the landscape of how readers, people are getting their news. It's one thing. You go on a lot of other websites, you're going to see a lot of bias, a lot of propaganda, but not here. You're going to see it exactly how it is. And they want to do what they want to do is educate their readers because in the end of the day it's about us and how we want to uh, see things versus how people are telling us to see things so it's all about educating yourself but here's a game here that I think we were educated actually a lot on one team and that one team is not the team who won here Ed Green Bay San Francisco yeah you take a look at what Green Bay was to do to start this game I even though Kyle Shanahan said that he started preparing for Green Bay in the second quarter of the Dallas playoff game, uh, it didn't look like it in that first quarter uh, because Green Bay really took it to him and controlled most of it. Uh, you know, Jordan Love continued to look like the guy that we've seen in the second half of the season, really uh, working the offense in such a way that, you know, you the Niners defense really didn't know where the ball was going. I was a little bit here, a little bit there. Aaron Jones was getting his, you know, getting those creases because he is a slippery guy, you know, between the tackles. So he could get some yardage. And when that, when that run game gets going, the rest of the offense gets going, but there was some issues with it. in the fact that green Bay could not get, to the end zone. They were 0-3 in the red zone in the first half. That's two field goals and one turnover on downs, which San Francisco was offside and they should have got a first down. Uh, but there's there's plenty of videos going around uh, the internet today in the Packers sites of how many missed calls there were you know, against the Packers. And you know what? That's part of the game. 
you know, you're not, you're not going to overturn what the ref did or didn't see. I don't care how blind he is. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so, but from what we what we saw with this Packers team going against what has widely been regarded as the team to beat in the NFC, they're going to be a sexy pick going into next year. They they're going to be a they're the youngest team in the league. They've got ton of cap space, and they and David Bakhtiari, who has the largest contract on that roster is you know willing to renegotiate his total because of all the injuries that he's had. So you know what that does? That actually opens them up to get Jordan Love secured long term along with you know not overspending to the point where they can't take care of everybody else on that team and keep this train moving. So it is it has become a like I said, a sexy idea that going into next season, we're already talking about being the uh, sexy pick of the Packers going into the Super Bowl. But back to this game, you know, Brock Purdy did not look good for three and a half quarters. He looked kind of average. And this, this isn't a great Packers defense that he was going up against to, uh, during the game, and you know, especially the run defense. You know, Christian McCaffrey, he pretty much had his way. But Brock Purdy, did they did the Niners win because of him or in spite of him? You know, that you know, through the first three and a half quarters, I think it was in spite of him. And that's part of what kept the game so close. But in the end, he does have the composure of a top end starting QB, and it showed. He was six for seven in that final drive, got the ball to his playmakers in space, especially Christian McCaffrey, because Debo Samuel was hurt uh, earlier in the game and was out uh, with a shoulder injury. You know, but in the end, uh, Brock Purdy led the team with composure. He didn't lead the team with stats. He didn't, it wasn't, you know, flashy and, you know, filling up stat sheets like, uh, Lamar Jackson does. It was, you know, using that composure to get down the field efficiently and to put the kibosh on the Packers. Now, in the end, Packers fans have seen what Jordan Love did for 30 years. That that interception that just does not need to ha- happen. You know, you know, we're we're actually calling it uh, calling the throw that uh, Jordan Love uh, threw that pretty much ended the game. A he did he pulled a Brett Favre. It's simple as that. That's because that we had seen that so many times, so many years. Brett Favre just throwing an interception that didn't need to be thrown, and you know ends the season for us. You know, I think back to that uh, New York Giants-Packers NFC Championship game in the negative 20-degree weather uh, where uh, Favre basically threw the interception that gave the Giants a shot to go to the Super Bowl. I mean, it was just one of those types of things. But overall, uh, you know, I did not see the Packers keeping this close because I have been saying all year long, San Francisco is the team to beat in the NFC, and it's going to take something special for anybody to stick close to them. Well, guess what? The Packers shows something close to them, and that was something special. Uh, but overall, in the end, you know, I, I did pick the Niners, you know, so if I had kept the money line, sure, great. Uh, but I did have the Niners – you know, getting that uh, point spread of nine and a half, ten points, uh, that just didn't happen. You know, with the final score being 24-21, you know, maybe I overshot that idea. You know, maybe I didn't have enough uh, enough uh, belief in my team. But, you know, how could I not, you know, think that the Niners would take care of business like that? I mean, Matthew, uh, what – 
Are you seeing the same things that I saw on that? Absolutely. You know, I saw a Niners team that didn't really look like the Niners team that we had been seeing throughout this year. But the thing is, though, is that we've seen a Niners team go up and down like this. So uh, there were times where they were just so dominant that there was no way anyone could face them and even touch them. But then you start seeing that they are looking more and more human as the weeks go on. And unfortunately, that's not a good thing as you see it continuing in the postseason. But I don't want that to discredit what the Packers did here. That What the Packers did here was actually something special. Just like you said, Ed, they just fell up short. And everything that Jordan Love was doing, especially on that last drive, was was correct until that throw. And that's why it was so hard to watch because I'm not a Packers fan. I'm a Steelers fan. But I wanted to see what Jordan Love and these Packers can do against the almighty San Francisco 49ers. But, and he was doing all the right things until he made that throw. And I was, I was sitting there like, why? Why did you have to throw that? And I'm sure he's are asking himself the same thing. He wishes he could hit the rewind button, but you can't. Unfortunately, it did happen. But next year, though, they are going to be a special team. But Brock Purdy, like you said, he's not a guy that's going to fill the stat sheets. He's not going to throw for 400 yards or anything like that. But for a guy who's in his second year, I just don't think I've seen someone with the poise that he has especially as a second-year quarterback. It, nothing phases him, honestly, at all. It, you're looking at a guy who, if you saw his facial expressions and how he carries himself, you'd be like, that guy's an eight-year NFL vet or something like that. You would not guess he's Mr. Irrelevant two years into his NFL career. But So I do want to say that about Brock Purdy. It, it is uh, very impressive to see a second-year quarterback in the NFL have the poise that he has. But David, uh, I imagine you kind of saw these same things that we all saw too. Well, let me tell you guys, I was, I, I predict, I was the only one of this group to predict that predict the, the Packers twin. And I was so freaking close. Like mm-hmm. I literally, I literally clipped the part from our last episode where I talked about the Pat, the Packers winning despite everything, you know, pointing toward uh, the 49ers favor. I had it clipped. Literally turned it turned it into a short, and I was ready to post it. And then Jordan Love's dumbass just had to throw that interception. <laughs> like, but uh, you know, let me ask you guys this: Is Kyle Shanahan possibly the most overrated head coach in the NFL? We're talking about we're talking about the guy who was a huge contributing factor to the Falcons bullying a massive lead against the Patriots. We're talking about the same guy who blew a Super Bowl lead against the Chiefs as the head coach of the 49ers. And yes, he's won a lot of games with the 49ers, but the 49ers also have quite clearly the most talented roster um, in the uh, NFL. Like, I'm not sure there's even a even a close second. Um, and then until, you know, Sunday night, um, the 49ers and the Shanahan, Shanahan era were, I think it was like 0-31 when entering the fourth quarter down by uh, five points. Um, and that game just really felt like a game that they won in spite of Shanahan and not because of him. I'm not suggesting that Kyle Shanahan is a bad coach, but it really does feel like he is the most overrated coach in the country. Ed, what do you think? Uh, I think he is his bad son. Uh, <laughs> when, you're, when you're talking about somebody that can put together a game plan that is all about run fits and zone schemes and you know, attacking a defense increases, you know, he is, he's that guy. And, you know, like we talked about in the last episode, you know, he has, he has a tree on his own of head coaches that follow that uh, same formula, you know, so I, I don't necessarily know where, where you're getting that from, but I do understand that because he's not an explosive coach, you know, he's more methodical, you know, and that's exactly what his dad was when he was uh, running the Broncos. You know, you know, he is a calming, steady coach. He's not one that's going to be up and down the field like some of his uh, some of his uh, tree branches, like Mike McDaniel, you know, trying to go 
as fast as they can all up and down the field. But, you know, there's a place in the NFL for slow and steady wins the race. And I I certainly think Kyle Shanahan fits that bill. Yeah, and, and there, there's a lot of hype that comes behind him um, as well. But you also got to keep in mind, too, there were so – look at Josh McDaniels. Well, it, it was kind of easy when you had the GOAT as your quarterback, when you were offensive coordinator, he was the next best thing. And then we all saw what happened in uh, Las Vegas with him. But but I think with uh, Shanahan it is a little different because uh, – you know, having a guy like Brock Purdy as your quarterback, you would have not known that Mr. Irrelevant. And keep in mind all the injuries he had to face, too, when with the quarterbacks that he had and the injuries they faced to get to Brock Purdy. So I will give him that credit. But, Ed, you said something that I really want to double up on here, and this is going to go straight into David right here, is <laughs> it's going to take something special to beat this 49ers team. Well, how does 30 years of emotions built up in one franchise, what can that do as far as special for a team from Detroit? David, I know this is going to be tough for you, but you're going to have to take this one. Tampa Bay, Detroit Lions. Yeah, I mean, listen, it was a a tough loss, but I got to keep things in perspective here, okay? And and I talked about this in in my last short. We were... We were expected to be one of the worst teams in the league um, post-Brady. Um, we were predicted to be last in the, in the division. We were supposed to be a lottery team. None of those things happened. We won the division for the third year in a row. We're probably going to win the division for the fourth year, in, fourth year in a row because, I, honest to God, I don't see any other team in the NFC South even coming close to uh, competing with us because every other team in that division has so many problems. And we won a playoff game. So all in all – um, given the, given the very low expectations that we had, I say that this was a very successful season for the bucks. We have a lot to take care of in the off season and hopefully, you know, hopefully most of those things get taken care of, but we'll see now as for the game itself, you know, I, I thought both teams fought their asses off, but like you could just tell that this was the lions game right from the beginning, even when we had some momentum going our way. Um, you just knew the lions were, were going to suck it suck it right out of us and that and that's exactly what what they did and you know certainly playing at home uh didn't hurt at all because that lions fan base is rabid man like those guys are wild like i could feel my tv shake i swear and i think also when you have a coach like dan campbell like a guy that you just want to you just want to run through a wall for like that is that is a legit coach like i saw a video of, of him I don't, I don't, I don't know when this video was taken, but it was during a practice. I gotta imagine that this was probably during his first year there, just because, like, based on context and based on what he was saying, he was saying things like, "Like, if you guys just, just trust me, like, I think about you guys all the time, like, just trust me, and we're going to make it." I'm guessing this was like back when they were struggling, or like during his first year. Um, and you know, back then, you, maybe you're thinking like, "Okay, like, is this guy for real? Is this guy a phony?" Clearly not a phony at all, um, and Dan Campbell is the absolute perfect coach for the for the Lions. Like I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine the Lions being coached by any other team. Now, speaking of coaches, Bucks fans learned something about about Todd Bowles that I think, certainly for me at least, made me made me go, "Oh yeah, now I remember what why I complain about Bowles a lot and why I often say like get him get him the hell out of Tampa." Apparently, Bowles elected to not use his final timeout of the game because he thought it was pointless and he figured, "Well, the Lions are going to win anyway." Okay. How do I say how do I break this down? If this was a regular season game, all right? Where your playoff spot is already decided, like there's nothing else you can do. Your playoff spot is already decided. Okay, fine, fair enough. But my God, this is the playoffs, you doofus. Okay, I don't care that Detroit had a 99.9% chance to win the game. Okay, you want to know what 99.9% is not, guys? It's not a hundred. All right, you take that chance. All right, this is the playoffs. 
you can't afford to be you can't afford to be conservative like during the playoffs, okay? Like you're a few steps away from going to the Super Bowl. You have to take all the chances you can get. And you're telling me that you didn't want to use your last time out because all you figured the game was already over. So hey, just just pack it up. Like, you know, we're done. There's it's not a hundred well, sure. The chances of you winning are very, very low, okay? But they're not zero percent. I don't know. It just it's crap like this about Todd Bowles, guys, that just drives me insane. And as I said before, it's crap like that and that makes me go, oh yeah, now I remember why I say a lot of times I do not want Bulls as a head coach, despite being a very, very nice human being and I think a very good uh, de- de- defensive coach in general. Um, but Matthew, what do you, what do you think? I, I have to say Dan Campbell is – probably one of my favorite coaches in the NFL. That's a guy who would go out there and probably do anything for his players. And I mean anything. And Dan Campbell's a big dude. Uh, Just his emotions. If you didn't see his post-game speech in the locker room, I mean, you saw a coach that was fighting back tears, but wanted to let his players know just how proud he was of them. And it all starts with him, guys. It really does. And that video you're talking about, uh, David, I mean, they were on hard knocks last year and you got to see a lot of Dan Campbell. He wanted, he just, he wanted his players to buy into him because if they bought into him, he would make things well worth their while. And here they are the NFC championship game that they will be playing against the San Francisco 49ers. But this Detroit team though is legit. And so I think we need to talk more about them and, and Tampa too. They, they did have a great successful year despite, um, losing and and how Todd Bowles might have handled things towards the end so uh, Tampa and Baker Mayfield had a great had a great successful year but this Detroit team uh, guys I I mean I'll let you guys if you want to talk about some more about them David but uh, this offensive line they have this run game they have and to get guys like Jameer Gibbs and Sam Laporta those were big draft picks that no one probably thought they were going to pay off well look at them now well, Absolutely. and for me, uh, <clears throat> you know, you talked about the offensive line. Right now, wound up with a sprained knee and a sprained ankle playing center and continue to play the rest of the game. I mean, for, you know, 90% of the rest of the NFL, they would have, you know, said, hey, I just can't go because I can't move. And he's like, no, we have lost so long that. I have to get out there and be part of this. There was no, and they play for each other. You know what every coach does in their initial press conference is they talk about, oh, well, we're, we're going to build a culture of winning at this organization. You know what hasn't happened in Detroit in 30 years? Somebody building a winning culture. And, you know, I, and when your first press conference is talking about knee biting and taking hunks out of people, <laughs> you know, and really the team has really kind of rallied behind that sentiment. You know, he's not as gruff as, you know, what that, that message is, you know, when he's talking to his players, he's really is a player's coach, but they embody that spirit of we will be the last team standing. And, you know, when you're, when you have that crowd behind you, I mean, David, you said it right. The game was over before it started because you could feel that stadium, just the roof was going to collapse if they kept going, you know, uh, you know, that excitement within the town, within the city, they knew what was happening before them. And it's something that they had never seen before. Because, you know, before last week, nobody had ever even thought about texting the Lions have won a playoff playoff game. <laughs> right. You know, and then you throw another 20 years in front of that. Yeah. So that is that was a huge win for them last week. It's mm-hmm. a huge win for them over this weekend. And, you know, as you take a look into the crystal ball. Mm-hmm. Jared Goff came from 
Central California coastline. Yep. You know, so he's not going to be, you know, you know, awed by the mm-hmm. what you know if there is weather like you saw in the San Francisco game over the weekend. And hey, guys, literally before the season started, I predicted the Lions to represent the NFC um, in the Super Bowl when a lot of people were were picking the Eagles um, or picking the 49ers. And I was one of the very few to actually pick the Lions. And now, listen, the 49ers are not going to be an easy task, um, but I'm going to feel like a genius if the Lions do make the Super Bowl. And you, you know something else too, guys? <laughs> Um, I'll give you the lottery numbers too while, while, while I'm at it. Um, but you know something else too, guys? I really, truly believe that a large reason why Dan Campbell has been able to work out at Detroit, even despite getting off to a horrible start, is because of his attitude, because of the because of his uh, perspective and the way and like just the way that he looks at things in general. Like this is like. This guy is honest. Like, this is a what you see is what you get kind of guy, okay? He's honest. Uh, he, he's transparent. Like, from his beginning press conferences, he was saying, or at least implying, that, you know, things with Detroit were not going to be easy. They're going to get knocked down several times, like four, five, six, seven times. But the teams are just going to have to keep trying and trying and trying because the Lions would never give up under Dan Campbell's watch. And I think it's because of this perspective that he's been able to uh, work out and why the Lions have shown incredible patience with them. Because as I said before, guys, the Lions got off to a really, really bad start under Dan Campbell, okay? I mean, can you think of any other organization that would show that much patience with a coach that gets off to such a putrid start? Hell, the Carolina Panthers fired uh frank reich during her his first season and i think frank reich is a really really good head coach i thought he was an excellent head coach for for the indianapolis colts and but you know obviously the panthers uh got tired of him they didn't want to show any any patience and so they got rid of him i think campbell and i'm pretty sure he does consider himself very blessed to be with possibly one of the very, very few organizations to show that much patience um, with him when a lot of other uh, NFL teams would have fired him just after the first couple of seasons. Yeah. I mean, you're looking at, or Ed, I'll actually let you go first. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, the Lions organization, you know, from top down realized that they were jumping coaches way too quickly, Mm -hmm. even if there was some progress behind the scenes, you know, so they stuck with it. They stuck with the plan, you know, which, you know, the NFL, we all know means not for long if you're not winning, (laughs) you know? So, you know, they stuck with the plan and it is, they are now seeing the dividends of their investment into Dan Campbell and what he has brought to Detroit. Yep, uh, we 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 live kind of in a in a time where it's such a quick trigger uh, league that uh, if you're not doing how we really wanted you to do, well, you're you're gone and on to the next. But guys, what I'm about to say here it means no disrespect to the teams we just talked about, but those were the early matinees that we just talked about. Those games, those were the prelims. The game mm-hmm. I want to talk about right now is the main event. It is the game that was expected to give you all the knockouts, it, it everything that you could think of, and um, it, did it live up to its expectation from years past? We're going to talk about that right now, but the main event was the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills, and I'll let any one of you guys start this one, but <sighs> Kansas City, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll go first. <laughs> the can the Kansas City Chiefs guys are like cockroaches, okay? <laughs> Unless you're a Chiefs fan, you're getting pretty damn sick and tired of them, all right? I mean, you're getting so tired of seeing them go deep in the playoffs every single year. And like like a cockroach, no matter how many times you try getting rid of, rid of them, okay? It's not impossible, but it is damn near impossible to to get rid of them. And Listen, I, for me personally, like I was so convinced that if there was any year for the Chiefs to like not make it this far, it was this year, okay? Because this is by far the worst Chiefs 
Chiefs team of the Mahomes era. Okay, um, like who was your best? Who was your best receiver? Some guy named Rashi Rice. Um, and then Travis Kelsey had his worst, his worst year ever. Well, maybe not his worst year ever, but he has he has declined compared to uh, compared to other years. Um, now give credit where credit is due. Okay, um, the, the the Chiefs defense was elite, and it was one of the best defenses in in the league this year. Okay. But even with the, even even that aside, I was thir- thoroughly con- convinced that the Chiefs' offense was bad enough to the point where it was not going to uh, lead them anywhere. But clearly, I was wrong, and now Patrick Mahomes is pr- approaching Tom Brady level, where you could grab the, the the cashier from your local grocery store, plug him into wide receiver, and Patrick Mahomes is probably still going to uh, you know toss uh, toss a couple touchdowns to to that guy. You just can't get rid of these guys, no matter how hard you try. No, the local cashier was Kurt Warner, okay? And he wasn't a cashier. He was a bag boy. But that's a different story. But no, David, you're you're right on cue, though. It's true. You could get – I could probably go there and – and Patrick Mahomes would would make me look like I was an all pro wide receiver. So that's just how good he is. But Ed, you want to add a couple things? Well, uh, first off, I want to ask David a couple of questions on behalf of Rasheed Rice. And the first one is, how dare you? <laughs> he, he what? Did I pronounce his name wrong? <laughs> no, you know he was somebody that came out of nowhere. You know they hit on a wide receiver draft pick and. You know, you had your names that were that are in the uh, Chiefs building, like Marquez Valdez Scantling, which, uh, as a Packers fan, I know all about him and his stone hands when he, was, you yeah. know, and he caught it yesterday right to him. But if it's a spectacular catch in a really tight moment, he's the best receiver in the world. It's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, but when you're, but also with uh, Kansas City, you know, you talk about them being, you know, that cockroach. They are the first team to win two plus playoff games in five years straight. That is astounding. Like the first, the first team in NFL history. Yes, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're lying, but I find that I find that extremely hard to believe. Two plus playoff games five years straight. You know, there have been stretches where teams go to the playoffs seven, eight years in a row, but you know, they'll have a one and done in there, uh, whether it be in the wild card or the divisional round, you know, that type of thing, you know, but they have had two wins in the playoffs five years in a row. And it's, it's astounding. With all the, with all the great teams we've had, like the Patriots, the Cowboys of the '90s, the Steelers, and these guys are somehow the first to do it. Yes, wow. and you know, and that kind of leads into you know what you were starting to allude to is you know how great is Patrick Mahomes? I mean, because he's he and Andy Reid are the are the glue that makes this thing go together. You know, David. Are you thinking that he's getting in that realm of passing Tom Brady, you know, by the end of his career? Uh, I mean, I think he's on the path to do it, but for me, it just seems, it seems too early to already kind of, to already uh, declare that. Um, But I will say that if he does ultimately surpass Tom Brady as the GOAT, I don't think anybody would be surprised. And then let me just say something about Andy Reid real quick. And I made a comment on a previous episode before, listen, there are some coaches out there who with like what they work per like they work so well with certain quarterbacks. Belichick work, works great with uh with Brady. With with Sean Payton, um his perfect match was Drew Brees, and now Andy Reid has finally found his uh perfect match in Patrick Mahomes. So how dare you put disrespect on Donovan McNabb's name like that? Come on. Right? Did Donovan, did Donovan McNabb win a Super Bowl? No, case closed. Was was Mahomes in a, a Campbell's Chunky commercial? Didn't think so, okay? <laughs> Donovan oh, McNabb. If I have to see him grab Mahomes' nuggies one more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, explain it again with those nuggies. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the thing. See, it it is so easy to kind of hate these guys because, one, they are so damn good. 
Two, they are in every single commercial you could think of. And three, the most important, Taylor Swift. It's and four, like, Patrick Mahomes is the biggest crybaby in the NFL. Oh, My don't God. forget about Jackson Mahomes too. But, you know, I think yeah, he's right, in yeah. jail somewhere. But, you know, it they are so easy to hate because of all those things. But in the end, Patrick Mahomes, in my opinion right now, is neck and neck when you look at his career. I mean, not not saying right now he's greatest of all time status. I'm saying he's neck and neck with how we saw Tom Brady's career and how uh, Mahomes is right now, how he is in the playoffs, how dominant he is. You can't bet against this Chiefs team just like you could not bet against that Patriots team. The second they were in that playoffs, you knew damn well they were going to the Super Bowl. And now this is their sixth straight uh, uh, conference championship game. Yeah, well, yeah. It's all- two Super Bowls, two MVPs, and, you know, in just his sixth year of starting, I mean, it's it's remarkable what he's doing. Now, we can kind of speculate where he is later on in his career, but from what you're seeing with your eyeballs right now, is Patrick Mahomes in the top five quarterbacks of all time? Um. He's not ahead of Brady. I think we can all agree with that, oh, yeah. even though For what you're seeing, how he plays. I'd say he's probably right at about five because okay. I think Brady's there. Uh, the way Peyton Manning played, uh, Peyton Manning was not an athletic quarterback, but he was one of the smartest guys out there on the football field mm-hmm. every Sunday. So I would have to say Peyton's up there too. Of course, Joe Montana. Uh, but I'd say Patrick Mahomes is right now, right around that five level, but when it's all said and done, don't be surprised if he's up there number one or number two. Yeah, you know, the other thing, too, like we talk about Brady, like, um, you know, did, talking about Mahomes versus Brady. Um, and I think a, a clear difference that we're looking at here is like, like nobody expected Brady to do much of anything. And if it wasn't for, a, you know, Drew Bledsoe's injury, we wouldn't even know who Brady, who Brady is. The truth is that with Mahomes, we probably should have seen this coming all along, okay? Because the guy put up monster numbers at, at Texas Tech. I almost said Texas A&M. But at Texas Tech, he put up incredible numbers. Now, and even so, he was, I thought, you know, fair, fairly underrated, um, including by, by me. I mean, um, I'll, I'll own up to this. But initially, I thought that Mahomes was a horrible pick for, uh, you know, for the Chiefs. Um even though he put up all, all those numbers, uh, my reasoning for thinking that he was a horrible pick was because he put up, you know, ungodly numbers against extremely trash Big 12 defenses. So, like, let's see how let's see how he's going to look against NFL defenses. But clearly, I was wrong, dead wrong. So I'll I'll uh, own, own up to that. Um, but generally speaking. This is probably something that we probably that that we should have seen coming all along because the dude has always put up in, incredible numbers throughout his entire playing career, high school, college, and now professional. Yeah, I mean, when he was coming out, we all saw the arm talent. We saw the arm talent when he was, you know, you know, a year into being Ed Ed Lubbock. You know, what we didn't know was how well he processed at the whiteboard. You know, running the offense. That that's where the difference was, you know, mm-hmm. and somebody else said, you know, if it wasn't for Patrick Mahomes, you know, right now we could be saying that Josh Allen is, you know, right up there with some of the top QBs in the league. And, you know, it, it's, it's really, if you go to baseball, it's kind of like the Texas Rangers trying to get over the New York Yankees hump, you know, that, you know, for all those years, they just have, we're not able to do it, you know, and if you look at, you know, yes, Josh Allen is part of the Bills team that lost this game this weekend, the, but you could list out 10 reasons why the Bills lost and Josh Allen is not a single one of them. He balled out. He ran that offense, you know, and he made the throws. His receivers didn't catch them all. Uh, particularly Stefan Diggs, which I'll get to in a minute, you know, you know, especially in that, you know, during that last uh, part of the game, you know, 80 yards in the air and Stefan Diggs just kind of, you know, it, it, I was like, what, 
How could it hit that dude in the hands and then not let, not catch the ball? That's to me. That's just indicative of Stephon Diggs as a wide receiver altogether. You know, but when you're looking at some of the things around Josh Allen, uh, you know he he ran for 72 yards with two touchdowns. He threw for another touchdown. I mean, we talked earlier about Lamar Jackson accounting for the entire offense. Well, that's what Josh Allen did in this game, you know, Mm. because that offense knows that he is the guy, you know, nobody else is on his level on that team, you know, but it's hard to stop Patrick Mahomes. If that defense winds up having person after person carted off, you know, leaving with injury and there's nobody left, you know, to stop Pacheco from getting the first down that basically seals the game, you know, to stop Kelsey from running wide open for the touchdown in the corner of the end zone, you know, to stop uh, Marquez Valdez Scantling from, you know, making the highlight catch, you know, of his year, which, there's always that one game like I talked about yeah. before, yeah. you know, and then you take a look at, you know, I have to say it, Tyler Bass, you know, those dreaded words of every Buffalo Bills fan out there wide, right. Oh, I, I felt bad for the guy. I, you know, because that, that would have tied the game. That would have at least given them a chance to have another overtime playoff game, which, Last time they did that, they rewrote the rules of the NFL uh, to accommodate it. Uh, But Tyler Bass actually wound up, as of today, deleted his social media due to death threats that he was receiving from the fan base. Uh, You know, and that's just not cool, guys. Not cool whatsoever as a fan base to threaten somebody's life because you're upset over your team losing. Not cool at all. But in the end, you know, you take a look at what this franchise has been through, you know, trying to get through Mahomes to get to the Super Bowl. You know, I think back, you know, and I'm old enough to have watched every play of every one of these Super Bowls. You know, is this a snake bit franchise? You know, you've had basically two dynasty level teams, one from 1988 to 1993 and one from 2017 to 2023, and they've got no rings to show for it. You know, I, as a Packers fan, was delighted to see Don Beebe get a ring with the Packers. Uh, you know, but that's really the only person I can think of that got a ring from that first dynasty team. And I'm curious to see, you know, with all the movement that happens in the NFL now, who's going to be that player that, winds up getting one, you know, after being on the bills and then having to show all of his Buffalo buddies, Hey, look what I got. You know, that's kind of a rude thing to do, but Hey, you know, that's kind of what you do. You know? Yeah. You know, Ed, uh, well, first of all, guys, as as I'm sure you noticed, uh, Matthew's uh, computer decided to just stop working and he, and he uh, texted us saying that he won't be able to make it, which is unfortunate, but the show must go on. Um, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to, we're going to, uh, march on, you know, something Ed. this, this kind of reminds me, like, I remember during my uh, younger days, um, the, the, the rivalry between the Patriots and the Colts, really the rivalry between, mm-hmm. you know, Tom Brady and, and Peyton Manning, when it just mm-hmm. seemed like Tom Brady just always got the best of Peyton Manning with Peyton Manning, getting the best of Tom Brady on occasion. And so far we are seeing that with the rivalry between the chiefs and the bills and, you know, really the rivalry between the, uh, but between Mahomes and, and, uh, uh, Josh Allen, because so far, no question about it. Mahomes has had Josh Allen's number. And, you know, we, we were actually, you know, we were actually kind of talking about it, um, before the show started, Ed, um, like before, uh, before you uh, got on, uh, Matthew and I were, were talking between the chiefs and the bills, man, like at this point, it just feels more like a mental psychological thing, like, you know, than anything else, because first of all, are you going to tell me that on paper that like this chiefs team is better than the bills again on paper? Hell no. But 
once again, it is a psychological, it is a mental thing. And you, and you know, a lot of teams go through that. You know, I mentioned the, uh, the rivalry between the Washington Capitals and the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh Penguins of the NHL when the Penguins just constantly kick the Capitals' ass year after year after year. You know, we saw it with the Ohio State Buckeyes. You know, we've seen it with the Buckeyes and the Michigan Wolverines where year after year after year, Ohio State just continually kicked Michigan's ass. And now we're actually seeing it in reverse where now Michigan is the one kicking Ohio State's ass. Ed, are you seeing the same thing where between the Chiefs and the Bills, it's just become more of this psychological uh, mental block? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's almost to the point where Buffalo has to figure out some way to have a team twice as good as what the Chiefs are for them to get over this hump. Uh, you know, because, you know, they they almost go into the game at this point defeated. You know, much like, you know, I mentioned it before, the old Bills Super Bowl teams. You know, by the time they got to their third one, they were like, oh, here we go again. We're going to get shellacked. You know, and and they did. I mean, that's that's exactly how that played out. You know, I've seen the same thing, you know, with the Texas Longhorns and Oklahoma Sooners, you know, in that Red River rivalry. You know, a little while, Oklahoma's got the best of the rivalry, that Texas has the best of the rivalry, you know, and the other team just can't seem to get over that hump. And that's where the Buffalo is right now. So it makes you wonder what they're going to do in this offseason, you know, because, yes, they've got Stephon Diggs signed to a mega deal, but is he really worth keeping around for all the drama that he's causing when he doesn't get his way? I mean, yes, wide receivers are divas, but my goodness, uh, you've, you've seen him just fire out, you know, at Josh, you know, for not throwing to him when he's double covered or bracket mm-hmm. covered or, any, you know, it, half the team on that side of the field. I mean, it's ridiculous that a wide receiver thinks that he is so much more important that he should get the ball over somebody who's wide open that can gain yards and get him down the field. But the other thing that they have to that the Bills have to think of over this offseason is have they really reached their level with Sean McDermott? I mean, you know, after this much time, you know, you know, what's the definition of an insanity? Uh, mm-hmm. The Cowboys can tell you because <laughs> they do it every year, you know, they continuously do the same thing over and over and over again and get no further in the playoffs than what they do. So will uh, Terry Pagula, you know, take his franchise and go, we've got to do something to shake this up. And it's not going to be getting rid of Josh Allen. I guarantee you that. Oh, absolutely not. So is that a conversation to be had? You know, you know, there's so many interviews for head coaching positions going on right now. And in some of those instances, there are second interviews being had right now. You know, mm-hmm. even Mike Vrabel, you know, interviewed with the Chargers. I I think it was yesterday. Yeah. Uh, it might have been today. Um, and then you've got, you know, your Harbaugh's. you got your Belichick's. Uh, you've got uh, your Brian Call- uh, Callahan from yeah. Cincinnati. Yeah. You've got uh, Slowick from the Texans. You know, there are and Dan Quinn, we talked about a bunch on this show. I mean, there's a lot out there for head coaches. Do the Bills take a look and go, maybe we need to infuse some new life into this this whole thing mm-hmm. because we're just not getting any further than what we were before. Yeah, and you know, like when it comes to the Bills, Ed, like maybe like maybe this is a team that just does not know, know how to handle high pressure and does not know how to handle expectations. And like, maybe for them, um, maybe it's going to take, you know, maybe what it's going to take for them is for them to not have that weight on their shoulders. I mean, I've talked before about um, when did the Washington Capitals finally win a Stanley cup? The one year where nobody expected them to do anything was of course the one year they finally won one at all. And maybe maybe the same thing has to apply for the bills. Like maybe the year that they finally stopped being a Super Bowl favorite when they finally stopped being among 
the Super Bowl favorites and people don't expect them to do much of anything, maybe that is the year that they finally, um, you know, uh, win the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, I can't believe I this example escaped my mind, but the um, mid-90s Packers, they they were getting shellacked by the Cowboys, you know, year after year after year. And they were always having to play in Texas Stadium year after year after year. So what happens in 96? The Packers wind up not having to face the Cowboys in the playoffs, and they go win the Super Bowl. It's, you know, it's just how it works sometimes. Yeah. But, you know, I think the Bills have to find a way to not have to play the Chiefs to make it to the Super Bowl for them to make it to the Super Bowl. It's well, just as simple as that. Well, I I don't think you're wrong, Ed. Um, but, folks, that's about all the time uh, we have. Uh, unfortunate that Matt's computer um, uh, gave out, but the show uh, must go on. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in. Um, and aside from our show, be sure to uh, check out other shows as well with with ADP, uh, including uh, Guys Night uh, Unfiltered, which will be uh, debuting soon, um, and uh, Quirks of Creation. And check out all the incredible content um, on the uh, ADP website. But as for us guys, uh, we are rounding third and headed for home.